Oh, it's NFL Draft Cloak and Dagger season. That's right. That's right. I almost forgot. We kick off January with the NFL Coach Hot Stove, which merges right into NFL Draft Analysis with the first mock drafts being released. And not only are we traded to Melk Hyper's first round mock, his Mach 1.0, but tomorrow... I'm hearing that Bleacher Report's Matt Miller. Oh, the Matt Miller. The original Vapor Scout. Just a cardboard cutout draft analyst. who Makes it up as he goes along. The original. There are now hundreds of Matt Miller clones across the internet. But he was the original. And he is coming out with a seven-round mock. The full draft. He's going to tell us who's going to be drafted where. Wow. I'm so excited because he's just so knowledgeable. (laughs) I empathize with every individual who wastes time they could be spending doing literally anything else in the world by reading Matt Miller's seven-round January mock draft. doesn't matter what month it is. It could be April. And reading a mock draft epitomizes unproductive use of one's time, but the Matt Miller mock draft is just the furthest extent of the time wasting. I'll take the lesser known mock drafts from the Daniel Jeremiah's and the Lance Zerlines over the Mel Kuypers and the Matt Millers all day. And this is before we get to Benjamin Albright. Benjamin Albright who's telling us that, well, his sources, right? His sources in team front offices don't have Saquon Barkley in their top 10. That the NFL draft media is higher on Saquon Barkley than actual NFL teams. Well, it just takes one team to have Saquon Barkley in their top five for Saquon Barkley to be drafted in the top five. Benjamin, I don't think you know the draft boards. I don't think you have carnal knowledge of every team's draft board. Because that's what it would take to make these claims. That's why they're so absurd and useless. The absolute heights of useless sports analysis. NFL mock drafts, an individual NFL team pick speculation. <laughs> it's just God. But you all are talking about it. I know. I'm on these text strings and group chats and DM groups with friends, copy and pasting Benjamin Albright tweets as if they mean anything, as if he's not just guessing and hoping you forget all those times he guessed and was wrong the last five years. <laughs> You'll notice we have a couple informed NFL analysts, Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport, Jay Glazer. They don't do a lot of NFL draft pick speculation. I don't know why the guys with the credibility don't do the NFL draft pick speculation. Because nobody knows which players, which teams are going to pick. But that does not stop reporters from speculating and passing along comments about prospects and pass along on-the-record comments about prospects by NFL coaches. Like, of course, our good friend John Dorsey, who said about Baker Mayfield, quote, What I was impressed with when he first got to Oklahoma, his teammates early in the summer, he had digested the playbook and understood it within two days. And then the love and conviction that his teammates have for him, you can see that. Yeah, wow. John Dorsey clearly believes that Baker Mayfield is not this unstable knucklehead, but rather a very stable genius. Yes. (laughs) 
And this is reported as if it's news, as if it provides some insight into the GM's preferences when nothing could be further from the truth. Because let's say a general manager actually likes a player more than consensus during the pre-draft process. Explain to me why he would say a single positive thing about that player publicly. It's illogical and irrational. The last thing you would do is come out and publicly praise a player who you believed your team and your evaluators valued above consensus. Think about it. And I posted that question on Twitter and the minions came back and said, well, because the value of the pick when they trade it is still conceived as being worth more than the player themselves in many cases. So what hashtag triggered on Twitter is trying to say is that if your intention is to trade the picks anyway, then you should tout the players that can be harvested with these picks in order to increase their value. But I would contend that NFL teams know the players they want and they know which teams own which picks at which slots. So it doesn't serve you in any way to tout a particular player and try to influence the market. I don't think any general manager is panicking on draft day because he's just heard so many reports about so many teams liking a player he likes. And that's going to force him to overpay to move up to slot four. And even if that phenomenon was possible, you could enhance the value of that pick by touting all the players you don't like by simply lying. And your comments would resonate with some teams that like the players you don't like. And therefore, you could enhance the trade value of that pick by touting every single player you didn't plan on drafting in that slot. I mean, it just touting the actual player you actually like doesn't make any sense unless you're in the number one slot in a year where there is a consensus number one overall prospect like an Andrew Luck. And in that case, you have the number one pick. You can feel free to tout the shit out of Andrew Luck and try to increase the value of that pick throughout the process by just hammering on the Andrew Luck accolades. Sure, in that particular case, yes. But in all other cases, you would never tout the player you actually like. Because if you are going to trade down, there's no incentive to be honest about a guy you could conceivably get after trading down. Why would you tout a player in this fictional world where people are actually paying attention to the things that general managers say publicly and not just dismissing them? Why would you potentially raise the profile of a player you're hoping to get after trading down? It would only ever make sense to publicly hump a consensus number one prospect like Andrew Luck. That is where the incentives end. That is it and that is all. Therefore, in the absence of an Andrew Luck level prospect, no comment about any player by any member of a team player personnel department is worth a damn, is worth anything. All comments by teams about NFL draft prospects should be ignored. Dismiss them out of hand. This is the Corey Davis corollary. If there is even a chance that a team thinks that they could have an informational competitive advantage on a player, which is what we're looking for when we're scouring the internet service for comments on players. We're looking for nuggets of new information, insight, enlightenment. Well, if a team possessed insight in a player that they believe was not widely available, 
they would never share a single syllable about that player, which is exactly what we saw with Corey Davis last year. Not a whisper uttered about Corey Davis by any NFL team because every NFL team, all 32 teams, wanted Corey Davis last year. They were all hoping he would fall to them. They all went to Western Michigan to watch Corey Davis dominate. Most teams have some analytical department, even if it's the bare minimum, showing the general manager and the player personnel director, hey, Corey Davis checks all the boxes we look for. This is a premium prospect, easily the best wide receiver prospect in this class, get Corey Davis. But he did go to Western Michigan, and he did miss the combine, and he didn't test at his pro day because he had not yet fully rehabilitated torn ankle ligaments. So Corey Davis didn't have a pre-draft process. He was an enigma. And because of that, the NFL franchises were not sure that every single NFL team was up to speed on Corey Davis's potential. And for that reason, there was utter silence across sports media about Corey Davis. No one dared utter a syllable about that player because there was a chance that some teams had an informational competitive advantage regarding Corey Davis, which necessarily means you're gleaning zero new insights from the reports you read in the mainstream media about team preferences in the NFL draft. Teams are either telling you something that's common knowledge, Calvin Ridley's explosive, everybody knows that, there's no insight there. Or, more commonly, representatives from NFL teams provide the mayonnaise-say-nothing commentary, just the meaningless cliches and platitudes like you heard from John Dorsey about Baker Mayfield. Fiery competitor, high intellect, loved how he picked up the playbook, and he's a great teammate. So he's smart and he's a great teammate. Zero insight there. No enlightenment. We already knew that. Thanks for nothing, John Dorsey. And a special thanks to Keith Britton for reporting nothing from Ken Dorsey. So to recap, NFL teams specialize in sharing common knowledge throughout the draft process, regurgitating the same meaningless cliches and platitudes, or even less helpful, the gamesmanship. Ah, the gamesmanship. Because every NFL team is incentivized to lie, not tell the truth. Touting the players you actually don't plan on drafting. Disparaging the players you actually like. Hoping that you misdirect your competitors who you are competing with for these picks. For this talent. How is this not obvious to everyone? I mean, do teams share their Sunday game plans with reporters on Friday? No, right? It's a secret. Top secret, right? Offensive coordinators often script plays. Do they share the scripted plays with reporters before the game? No, right? So why would a front office executive ever consider sharing truly actionable intel about what a team actually thinks about an NFL draft prospect with a reporter? The answer is they would never. And if a leak occurred, it would be a fireable offense. Because you could imagine sitting in the war room for an NFL team and someone comes in with their iPhone and says, who the fuck said this bit of actual, helpful, insightful information about player X who we value more than consensus. How the fuck did that get out? Whoever did it is fired. But, 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 but don't let reality stop you from chasing your tail for the next three months, reading reports from Benjamin Albright that amount to uninformed guesswork, mayonnaise commentary from teams, 
or sound bites intended to misdirect. Should be a fun three months. Yeah. I mean, the NFL is the most secretive of the sports. It's why I did not take Seth Wickersham's piece on the Patriots at face value. The fissure in the Patriots locker room. We had a buzzard write in about this exact topic, and this buzzard hit it out of the park. Porter Stoll writes as follows, Love the rant on the absurdity of the Seth Wickersham piece. Some thoughts if you want to keep running with it. The entire story was the Patriots gave up Jimmy Garoppolo, gave him away. The conflict between Kraft, Brady, and Belichick bubbled to a head, and the Patriots were forced to trade Jimmy Garoppolo for whatever they could get. That was the premise of the Seth Wickersham piece. I agree with Porter Stoll's assessment. Stoll continues, but that doesn't make sense. This is the smartest team in football. Does everyone really think they hit the panic button? We have a whole trade log of Belichick deals the past two years where he's acquiring Brandon Cooks and Rex Burkhead and Chris Hogan and Gillisley and Van Noy. Isn't the mainstream media being obtuse saying it was a bad trade? Is this just recency bias, hindsight bias? My main point is they didn't want the burden of the first round pick. The Patriots don't see first rounders the same as the rest of the NFL. And no one is willing to admit this obvious point. The Patriots wanted the second round pick and they were deliberate about it. The starting point on the negotiation for Bill Belichick was give me a second rounder, expecting the 49ers to reject encounter, and the 49ers just took it. San Francisco's first round pick would have cost $15 million, 70% of that guaranteed. San Francisco's second round pick, $5 million over four years, 50% guaranteed. So you move back one round and the value spikes. That's reason number one from Porter Stoll. The reason number two is bust rate. The bust rate difference on a first round pick versus a second round pick is a much smaller disparity than the difference in salary level. That's why second round picks are simply a better value than first round picks. Porter Stoll's reason number three, analytics. The Patriots have their own Matt Kelly clone on the payroll. His words, not mine. And that's all true. Porter Stoll goes on to say that I was correct in calling the Seth Wickersham piece a non-story. Now, I believe it was one of the best pieces of journalism in recent memory because it was such a comprehensive deep dive into the inner workings of an organization. We just rarely get those. Even though Wickersham initiated his information gathering process based on a false premise. Based on the premise that the New England Patriots conducted a Jimmy Garoppolo fire sale and I don't agree with that premise. I think that Seth Wickersham unearthed some interesting dynamics. The schism. I think that's real. I think you can look at the interpersonal behavior between Brady, Belichick, and Kraft. It's not as warm as it once was because how could it be, right? As time goes by, most relationships sour. You spend a lot of time with someone, an inordinate amount of time in the presence of another person. Eventually, that person grades on you. It's just a natural evolution of human relationships. That's why it's a non-story. But it was still interesting and compelling because it was Brady and Belichick and Kraft. And the simple account of Brady and Belichick and Kraft having the most normal and expected interpersonal relationship deterioration was interesting simply based on who they were and nothing else. 
So it was one of the most fascinating non-stories in the history of sports. But you can't tell me that they traded Jimmy Garoppolo for five cents on the dollar. You cannot tell me the Jimmy Garoppolo trade to the San Francisco 49ers was a panic move at the time. It was not. They couldn't keep him. They were not going to pay Jimmy Garoppolo 20 plus million dollars a year to be a backup quarterback. That is not good value. We know the Patriots crave value at every position on the roster. They're simply looking to stockpile talent at value. Paying Jimmy Garoppolo more than $20 million to play zero snaps would be illogical. And Jimmy Garoppolo's agent knew this. Other teams across the NFL knew this. Everybody knew this. The Patriots had no leverage. That's why Bill Belichick, in approaching the San Francisco 49ers, expected to get less than a second-round pick. The second-round pick, his most coveted asset in the NFL draft, was his opening salvo, and they just snap-accepted, and he was like, great! And they were like, great! Everyone was like, great! That's how win-win trades happen. Everybody just turns around and goes, oh, wow, great! And it was a win-win trade. No, Bill Belichick wasn't bamboozled. And you need to be discerning reading a piece like the Seth Wickersham piece on the Patriots because that organization controls the flow of information in and out better than any other NFL franchise. So you have to be discerning and ask the question, does Seth Wickersham know this because the Patriots want him to know this? Does Seth Wickersham believe these were the reasons for a particular action or phenomenon because that's what the Patriots want him to believe? The Patriots are shining a light on certain areas of their franchise illuminating them for Seth Wickersham while keeping others shrouded. Did the Patriots want the sports media industrial complex to feast on these salacious, gossipy relationship details while the real inner workings of the organization's competitive advantage on the rest of the league remain secret? These are questions that must be asked throughout the course of consuming a piece of sports media that grandiose because that was one of the most comprehensive profiles of a professional sports team that I can recall. What was the word count? I mean, contact the show at Roto Underworld on Twitter or Roto Underworld at gmail.com. What was the word count of that article? Was it 5,000 words? It was long. It was complete. Complete bullshit. Just like Pissant Gate. If the Patriots want you to know they're upset, they will let you know they're upset so they can exert their power and influence on a situation like you're seeing now with WEEI's Alex Reamer. Because Alex Reamer referred to Tom Brady's daughter as a pissant and he's been suspended. And every Patriots fan in Massachusetts wants Alex Reamer to be fired because he called Tom Brady's daughter a pissant. I do not want Alex Reamer fired. Firing Alex Reamer would be one of the most unfair firings in the history of sports media. Because yes, technically Alex Reamer called Tom Brady's daughter a pissant. Alex Reamer looked at Tom Brady's daughter on a public video viewed by millions of people, posted by Tom Brady on Tom Brady's public Facebook page. And his first instinct was, that kid's a pissant, then say she's a pissant. If he had said she's a brat or a rug rat, he would never have been suspended. And Tom Brady would have never brought it up to the WEEI hosts during his weekly segment. And he would not have cut that segment short. No one would be talking about it. I don't use the word pissant because I'm not 85 years old. But I don't see 
a significant difference between labeling a kid a pissant or a brat or a rug rat. It's not a big deal. And that's if, if Alex Reamer had focused his attention on Tom Brady's daughter during that radio segment and called her a pissant directly. But that's not actually what happened because I went back and I listened to the segment and Alex Reamer was analyzing the contrived nature of Tom Brady's video. He was setting the scene of the video for the listener. Tom Brady is in the kitchen, failing to pretend he's not acting. In the corner is Tom Brady's pissant kid. Over here, Giselle's making a smoothie. It was just a throwaway comment describing the scene in which Tom Brady found himself in this video. Alex Reamer did not train his attention on Tom Brady's daughter and start analyzing his daughter. No, it was simply a throwaway remark describing the arc of the video he watched, which was unwatchable. These Tom Brady TB12 videos are stilted and contrived, insufferable promotional videos that represent the heights of uninteresting sports celebrity content. This was Alex Reamer's point, and I agree with him. And maybe he meant Rugrat and said pissant. I don't know. He labeled the daughter in the room improperly. And whether he misspoke or he was being intentionally rude, either way, that's not a fireable offense. It's not even suspendable. Because if that's suspendable, we're all in trouble. That's when political correctness has gone to a place where no one can speak honestly anymore. We can never have conversations on podcasts and on radio segments as if we're talking to our friends. Because that's how we talk to one another. I mean, I don't use the word pissant. But I could see myself referring to someone's child who is whining as a brat. I've done that before. Talking to friends about someone else's child called that child a brat. Which is essentially what Alex Reamer did on the WEEI radio show in discussing Tom Brady's promotional video. He was not discussing his daughter. He was discussing the video. He made an unfortunate throwaway remark which we're all susceptible to. This is a podcast, so I'm recording this, and I can go back, and if I don't like how something sounds, I can change it in the editing room. Radio hosts don't have that luxury. They are performing a high-wire act with their voice every second they are on air. And I'm saying this as the rare sports media personality who is beholden to no one, who owns the website that launched the podcast that I host. And yet even I, from where I sit, am made uncomfortable by this W-E-E-I controversy. Well, I shouldn't say beholden to no one because I am beholden to this audience. I am beholden to the people that support this show on Patreon. The 10% of you out there that hold this show on your shoulders. That allow the other 90% to enjoy it for free. That 10% contributes six plus dollars per month so I can say whatever the fuck I want on this show without commercial interruption and without being beholden to sponsors or censored by the FCC. This is precisely the reason why you need to go to Patreon and search Podfather and support this show if you're not doing it already. Because without patrons, I can't simply speak my mind on these airwaves. I would be doing a show in fear as many podcasters and radio hosts are. Because what you're hearing right now is what a truly independent voice sounds like. And it's not possible without the people that truly care about it who choose to support it on Patreon. Patreon.com. Search 
Podfather. And not only can I say whatever I want on these airwaves, I can also post whatever I want on Patreon.com. In fact, I screenshotted Alex Reimer's Twitter profile and I took liberties updating his headshot. And because I thought some people would take offense, I did not post this new and more accurate screenshot on Twitter. Oh no. Did I post it on our Facebook page? Oh no, no. I posted it on the Patreon feed for patrons only. You think, oh, Patreon's just for gear, t-shirts and hoodies, extra shows, listener leagues, Q&A forums. Oh no, 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 no. It's also exclusive posts that are too edgy for Twitter. <laughs> the moment I posted that, I felt bad because I empathize with Alex Reimer. I want to support him, not disparage him. He doesn't deserve to be put in this position because all Tom Brady has to do, if he doesn't want a radio show host calling his daughter a pissant, is not exploit his daughter for profit by posting a video with her in it on his Facebook channel. And this is coming from a lifelong Patriots fan. I am rolling my eyes at Tom Brady from an unassailable perch broadcasting on my own podcast on my own website where I can say anything. I can call Tom Brady's daughter whatever I want, even though we don't name call in the show. I could call her a demon spawn. What are you going to do, Tom? What are you going to do? So you need to ask the question, what standard are we holding radio hosts to and why? And the standard that WEI and Patriots fans are holding Alex Reamer to is unfair. And the reason they're doing it? To curry favor with the hometown athlete, right? Caving to political pressure. And I don't even blame Tom Brady because I don't think that he listened to the clip. I think that one of Tom Brady's people said, hey, Tom, by the way, one of WEI's other radio hosts called your daughter a pissant. How do you want to handle this upcoming radio hit? And Tom says, oh, really? Oh, really? Oh, really? Really? Oh, really? Oh, I'll handle it. Don't worry. I'll handle it. I'm going to tell them that I'm not going to finish the interview. I don't know why athletes feel the need to do these interviews where they don't say anything anyway. It's not interesting radio. Don't do the show anymore, Tom. Nobody cares. It doesn't matter whether you do it or not. No one gains anything from you doing the show. And if you're going to be this sensitive, you might as well not do it. And I understand why he's sensitive about this. It's your daughter. It's the fatherly instincts. I understand the fatherly instincts well. But if you're WEEI, you can't just cave to the star athlete. You have to have integrity. And that means protecting your employee based strictly on the nature of the conduct and not the level of fame of the individual exerting pressure in the other direction. And Patriots fans need to see through this ploy by Tom Brady. It's a naked attempt to exert his power and influence over a powerless individual, the junior member of a radio team who simply called a child a pissant, which in the spectrum of rude remarks is one of the most innocuous rude remarks you could ever think of. You can maintain your conviction and loyalty to an employee, a quality employee, by the way, because Alex Reamer is the only voice of reason as a contributor to the Kirk and Callahan show, while the other hosts careen off into the extremes, not merely being politically incorrect, but discriminatory and offensive. While those hosts are traveling out into those outer bounds, Alex Reamer was the voice of dissent with the conviction on the other side. Without him, there would be no voice balancing that show. So WEI has a choice. They can make a snap judgment in the short term, capitulate, 
to the popular athlete with pull and prostitute themselves to whatever sponsors are tethered to Tom Brady. Or they can do what few media organizations ever choose to do. Empower their people. 